we're, we're in the section of our, of our uh, sermon series, Meat and Potatoes, on, on who we are as the people of God and, and what God's intention is, is for us. Um, I, I once read a story about, about a little girl in India uh, who, who wasn't growing. Um, she wasn't growing up. She, she, was, she was five years old, and she only weighed 19 pounds at the age of five. Now, you might immediately think the problem is, is some kind of genetic defect. That wasn't the problem. Um, the problem wasn't, wasn't an internal disease. Um, the problem was malnourishment, uh, malnutrition. Um, and, and the article pointed out this wasn't an unusual problem throughout India. Um, it has been estimated that, that one-third of all children in India um, have permanently stunted growth uh, because of malnutrition. One-third permanently stunted growth because of malnutrition. Uh, growing up is a part of life. Uh, we, we, expect, we expect babies to grow. At our 8.30 service, a grandma had her little granddaughter, um, Abigail, and Abigail, how old's Abigail? Six months, something like that. Um, um, sweet, sweet little thing. You expect Abigail to grow. You expect Abigail to grow. Um, and, it's, and it's a tragedy if, if, a, if a child doesn't, doesn't grow up. Uh, babies are cute. Toddlers are adorable. But if, if cute and adorable never grows up, then it's a tragedy. Um, all things all things grow. Um, all, things, all things are meant to grow, um, physically, spiritually, emotionally. We, we were created to grow, and we are destined to grow physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So if you don't grow, it's a tragedy. So today, we're going to look at, at God's intention, God's plan for your growth. What is it that God has in mind for you in your walk with him? How does he want you to grow spiritually and, and emotionally. Here's, here's what the Bible says. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So, so the point Paul's making is, is God wants us to grow, and he wants us to grow up, and he wants us to become godly people. God wants us to love others the way he loves others, and God wants us to serve others the way he serves others. God wants us to help others the way he helps others. And God wants us to act towards others the way, the way he acts towards others. And the Bible tells us that, that, that Jesus is our model for that behavior. For the kinds of things that God wants us to do when he created us, Jesus is the model for that. As, as the Bible says, God wants us to grow up like Christ in everything. Now, don't misunderstand. There are some things that Jesus did that we can never do. That's why the title is not WWJD. I understand years ago that was really popular. What would Jesus do? I understand the point of it. I just didn't agree fully with it. 
Because there are some things that Jesus did that we can never do. That's why I'm saying, what would Jesus have me do? What would Jesus have me do? But we can see, while we can't do everything Jesus did, we can do the things that Jesus has called us to do. And that's what spiritual growth is all about. We are created to do the things Jesus would have us do. And that's what it means for us to grow up in, like, like Christ in everything. To become like Jesus Christ means to become fully alive. Jesus is the most fully alive person who ever lived. And if we grow to be like Christ, we can realize in our own lives what it means to be fully alive. If you remember, Jesus once said, I came that you might have life in all its fullness. And that's what it means to become alive in Christ. That's what it means to do what Jesus would have me do. Jesus wants me to be alive. Jesus didn't come here to bring us religion. Jesus doesn't want me to be a religious person. And Jesus doesn't want you to be a religious person. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus wants us to be alive in him. That's what it means to have the abundant life, to be alive, to be alive in all of its fullness. When you love like Jesus loves, you're going to have better relationships. You're going to have a more abundant life. When you treat people the way Jesus treats people, you're going to have a more abundant life. When you live like Jesus wants you to live, you're going to have fewer inward struggle, struggles and outward demons. When you think the way Jesus wants you to think, you're going to have less stress and worry in your life. When you do what Jesus wants you to do, you're going to have more peace in your heart. And when you do the things Jesus created you to do, you're going to, to have that fullness of life. I came that they might have life in all its abundance. When you do the things that Jesus wants you to do, you're going to realize that abundant life in your life. Growing in Christ is a process. And it's a lifelong process. It's a, it's a never-ending journey in this life. It is called discipleship. Discipleship is the process of becoming like Jesus. And that's what happens when we do the things that Jesus would have us do. You know, we, throw, we have discipleship classes and we learn about being disciples and we're disciples of Christ and we throw that word out. And it's good to understand exactly what that word means and that's all it means. It simply means you're in a process of becoming like Jesus. And that's, by the way, God's goal for our lives. It's God's goal for our lives that we become like Jesus. So today, we're going to look at, at three unexpected ways that God teaches you to grow like Christ. These are, these are kind of contrarian ways. They're, they're the obvious ways that God teaches you to grow like Christ. Uh, um, um, they're, 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 the, they're the least, there's some uh, uh, low-impact ways that God treats, teaches you to grow like Christ. But this morning, we're going to look at, at three unexpected ways that God teaches you to grow in Christ. The first way is God uses trouble to teach us to trust him. Whether designed by God or not, 
He uses trials to draw us closer to him. Romans 5.3 says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. A while ago, I had, I had a, a, a series of difficulties enter into my life. Did you ever have that happen? One thing happens, it seems like it just trips a wire, and boom, there's another thing, and then there's another thing, and then there's another thing. It kinda, I kind of felt like Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana from that old Saturday Night Live skit. If it's not one thing, it's another. And that's what it feels like, right? One thing goes wrong, and then another, and then another, and then another. And so as they piled up, I prayed for the problems to ease up. I prayed for the problems to go away. I said, Lord, no more. Make it stop. Take them all away. I don't want any of these things in my life right now. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever done that? I'm tired of these problems. Make it stop, God. Guess what happened? Guess what happened? They didn't stop. Absolutely right. A couple more were thrown in, it seems, for good, for good measure. They, they, they didn't stop. And after a lot of prayer, it dawned on me. I had been praying for God to take the problems away to make the problems stop, but God was using the problems to teach me patience and to draw me closer to him. I was learning what he said in his word. We're just adding to Paul again from Romans 5. He says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, God, God wants to build character in your life. God wants you to be strong. God wants you to be enduring, and God wants you to be an example to other people. He wants you to grow up. And, and, and the problem we, we get ourselves into is, 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 we, is we think that, that the goal in life is to be comfortable. You know, it's like, it's like you, 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 talk, you talk to a parent, and a, and a parent says, all I want is for my child to be happy. Well, that's wrong. I want my child to be a person of enduring character. Happiness will follow, but that shouldn't be the primary goal. And we do the same thing with comfort. We, we think that life is, is meant to be comfortable, and, 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 and it's not. You know, if this were the only life we lived, if there were no life after death with Christ, if this was the only shot we had in life, I would absolutely be saying, yeah, you should do everything you can do to attain comfortableness. If this is all there is, I'd certainly be in agreement. Yeah, comfort should be the goal in life. But you know what? You're, you're gonna, we celebrated last week, right? You're, you're, gonna, you're going to have an eternity of comfort with God. You are going to be in the presence of Jesus for the rest of eternity. That's comfort. And that's what we're going to get. So, so God says in his word that, you know, this isn't the comfort stage. This isn't the, the lazy boy recliner stage. That's going to come later. 
you remember several weeks ago, I said, I said expectations are planned resentments. And so if you, if you think that the goal in life is to be comfortable, then when difficulties come your way, you're going to be resentful. You're going to be angry. You're going to be bitter. You're going to be downcast. Life is hard. If you expect life to be comfortable, then when life isn't, you're going to be disappointed. And you're going to be one of those people who carries disappointment around with you wherever you go. But life is hard. Life is tough. Jesus said so. This is not the comfort stage in life. This is the character building stage. And, and, and you don't build character laying around in bed all day. When you understand that, that God wants to build character in your life, then, then, then you will understand that, that, that God will use troubles that come into your life in order to teach you to trust him more, to draw you closer to him, to be more enduring as a person. Now, here's a question people ask me all the time. They say, you know, you know, Pastor, when something bad happens, they say, Pastor, why is this happening to me? Or, or, or another variation of this is, why me, Lord? Why is this happening to me? And the, and the first and the honest, most honest answer, when somebody says, why is this happening to me, the most honest answer ought to be, well, why not you? Do you know anybody who hasn't had any problem in life? Do you know anybody who hasn't had a single trouble come their way? So if it doesn't happen to anybody else, why should it not happen to you? When you get sick, when you get ill, when you're facing, facing hardship or difficulty, why would we ever think we should be exempt from that? Everybody has problems. It's, it's just that some people's problems are different than others and some people's problems are more hidden than others. I think, I think you, you, you might have woken up this morning to the uh, tragic news. Um, Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback, founding pastor of Saddleback Church in California, we, we worked through um, his eight-part sermon series on Celebrate Recovery this past winter. He and his wife Kay, their youngest son, 27-year-old son, committed suicide on Friday. Um, lifelong struggle with mental illness and depression. Um, at one point in his life, he said, he said, he said to his father, he said, you know, he said, I believe in Jesus. I believe I'm going to be in heaven with Jesus when I die. So why doesn't he just take me now? But a tragic struggle, struggle with mental illness. It happens to everybody. Everybody has problems in their lives. Regardless of, of what kind of pedestal we place them upon. Every family has hurts and hardships. Problems are a part of life. So don't ask, why is this happening, happening to me? Instead, ask, now that this is happening, what do I do? How does the presence of Christ shine through me in this hardship? How do I encourage others? How do I live out my faith? You build character in hardship. You grow as a Christian. You do what Jesus would have you do. The thing is, God cares more about your character than he cares about your comfort. And so, and so life is about, is about learning. Let's, let's look at what happens to Jesus in Gethsemane. Last week was Holy Week. 
Jesus spent an, an agonizing time in the gar Garden of Gethsemane before his betrayal and arrest. Here's, here's what the Bible says. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to gently to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground. He threw himself on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. You see, you see it's, not, it's, not about, it's not about comfort. It's about trust. Father, not what I will, but what you will. I'm trusting you, Father. When you're going through the Gethsemanes of your life, remember Jesus is with you. When a problem overtakes you, it's okay to say, God, I know you can take it away. I want you to take it away. But God, if this is what you want for my life, I'm ready to go through it. Your will be done. That's, that's called trust. And, and, and when you learn that kind of trust, you are growing in Christ. When you learn that kind of trust in the midst of of the problems of life, you are, you are growing in your walk with Jesus. So first, God uses troubles to help us grow spiritually. Second thing God does is he uses temptation to help us grow spiritually. Now understand, I'm not saying God causes temptation because the Bible says God doesn't cause temptation. God uses trouble to draw us closer to him. Satan uses temptation to draw us away from God. That's how it works. Temptation is not of God, but God will use temptation for his good benefit. Temptation, though, comes from the devil. But God can use it for good in your life. Because here's the thing about temptation. With temptation, you always have a choice. Temptation is not compulsion. There's nothing compulsory in a temptation. You always have a choice. And every choice is an opportunity to grow. So every time you have a temptation, you also have presented to you an opportunity to grow. And God, and God will use that temptation to help grow you into the kind of person that God wants you to be. You remember the story. Jesus was tempted right after his baptism. He's baptized and, 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 and God says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased to listen to him. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a shining moment. It, it really propels Jesus into his public ministry. But what happens right after Jesus' baptism is he, is he goes into the wilderness. And, and, he, and he's tempted there by, by Satan. Here are a few things we learn from Jesus' temptation. First thing we learn is after every great victory or moment, be on guard because Satan will attack you. That is, that is, that is, that is so true to life, isn't it? Every time you reach, you reach a high point, Satan wants to knock you down. And Satan doesn't want that high point in your life 
Satan doesn't want that high point in the life of a church or of a family or wherever that high point is. Satan doesn't want that high point to give God glory. And so, so Satan will try to knock it down. Temptation also, remember, temptation isn't a sin. Jesus was tempted, but he never sinned. So temptation is not sin. Other thing we learn from temptation is, is, is how will we respond to temptation? While temptation isn't your choice, your response to temptation is your choice. It's not compulsion. And the Bible teaches that we're all tempted in the same way. You know, it, it's, nobody can ever say, nobody understands what I'm going through. Oh, nobody knows what I'm going through. That's not true. That's, that's, not, that's not true. Listen to what Paul says. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. I love what Martin Luther once said. He said, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building nests in your hair. We had a friend when I was a kid growing up, I, I could have sworn birds built nests in her hair. <laughs> and then here's what Paul says. He says, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God is, will use temptation to draw you closer to Jesus, and he will make you a stronger person. And here's another unintended consequence of temptation. It, it, it gives you the opportunity to do the right thing. Every temptation is a choice. So you can choose to do the right thing. Remember, that's what Jesus did in the desert. At one point, Satan came to him and he said, if you will just bow down and worship me, I will make you ruler over all of this. And then Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Jesus, Jesus did the right thing. And so every temptation brings with it an opportunity to do the right thing. When I was a kid, temptation is about choice, about making the smart choice. When I was a kid, you know, I, th I, think, I think maybe Christians ought to have one of those, you know, you know those little books, Eat This, Not That, kind of the food fascists have to make us eat right. Um, eat this, not that. Maybe, maybe Christians should get together and do a book, Do This, Not That. I'm just wondering. Because every temptation is a choice. And it's always a choice to do the right thing. Um, anyway, when I, when I was a kid growing up, uh, my, dad, my dad had a favorite saying. <laughs> he, he used to say, he'd say, he'd say uh, and feel free to use this anytime you want. Um, he'd, say, he'd say, what are you, a tutored idiot? Isn't that good? My goodness, he said that a lot to me. Uh, what are you, a tutored idiot? Um, that's good, isn't it? Um, and, and, and it's true. Because, because every single one of us, when temptation strikes, every single one of us is one decision away from being an idiot. We're one decision away from being an absolute moron. And not doing what God wants us to do. To put it in the positive, because my dad was a little bit on the negative side about those kinds of things. But to put it in the positive, every single one of us is one decision away from doing the right thing. Every single one of us is one decision away from glorifying God. Every single one of us is one decision away from, from having God, his holiness, shine in our lives. We honor God one decision away 
We honor God when we reject temptation. And here's the thing. Um, I mean, what my dad said, there was a lot of wisdom in that. Um, because sometimes, you know, you have to learn to do stupid stuff. Um, but so we can also learn to reject temptation. Um, and, it's, and, it's, and, and, and it's easy. It's not hard. Don't overthink it. It's an easy thing to do. Here's what Paul says. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. See, one of the things we've been talking about a lot lately, right, is find a passage of Scripture, read it over and over throughout the day, try to commit as much of it to memory as you can, and just focus on that one passage every day. That's a great passage to do that because, because the, Bi- the Bible tells us that, that, that as, you, as you think, you will do. And so if we focus on these good things, right, when temptation comes, I'm focusing on good stuff. And so I'm going to make that God-honoring decision with my life. It will, it will get my mind off of, off of the temptation. So, so you focus on, 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 on the person that God wants you to be. So, so God... God helps us grow spiritually um, through troubles. God works through temptation from Satan to help us grow spiritually. And third, again, this is very contrarian. Um, God uses sin to teach us to forgive. Just as God doesn't tempt us, so God doesn't cause us to sin. But God uses sin to help us grow. What is sin? Sin is an offense against God. Sin is doing something to hurt God. Sin is doing something to hurt myself. Sin is doing something to hurt another person or people. Um, and and sin, uh, sins are those things that other people do to hurt, to hurt me. Um, that's why Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he said, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus is teaching us to grow spiritually. Jesus is teaching us to become, to do the things he would have us do. Sins are when you hurt somebody else or when somebody else hurts you. And the fact is we all sin and we are all sinned against. That's what happens. Because we are broken and imperfect people living in a broken and imperfect world. And God, and God hates sin. God hates evil. And God says we have to stop evil. God says we have to, have to push back against sin. You've heard it said that all it takes for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. And the thing is, again, anybody can bring good out of good. Don't take a genius to bring good out of good. Anybody can do that. But God can bring good out of evil. And we are growing spiritually when we're working with God to bring good out of evil. Think of all the evil that was done to Jesus. Jesus was persecuted, he was denied, he was ridiculed, he was spat upon, he was tortured, he was hung on a cross, he was humiliated, and he was killed. All of that was evil. But what did God bring out of that evil? What did God do in response to all of the evil that was done Jesus? If you remember what Jesus said from the cross, do you remember when all of that stuff was happening, was being done to Jesus, what did he say from the cross? He said, Father, 
Forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Jesus yielded his right to get even. And so, and so here's the big point, and it's, and it's an important point in our discipleship. We've been talking about what Jesus wants us to do, and we've been talking about what God does to help us become more like Jesus. And you become more like Jesus when you forgive. And you can't forgive somebody unless they hurt you. And so God allows hurt to come into your life so that you can learn to forgive and you can grow in your walk with Christ through forgiveness. Isn't that wonderful? That's a wonderful gift from God to allow you the privilege of being treated the way his son was treated so that you can learn to respond the way his son learned. And in that response, you grow closer in your relationship with God. Do you understand how contrarian that is? That's not the way our world works, but that's the way God works. No one ever said discipleship was ever going to be easy. It's hard work. I think Jesus said, you want to follow me, you're going to have a stone for a pillow, right? Here's how Paul sums it up in Romans 8. He says, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. What would Jesus have me do? Become an heir with Christ, a child of God. Jesus is our brother. That's, that's the promise. Visit us on the web at tecumsehcove.org. That's T-E-C-U-M-S-E-H-C-O-V-E dot O-R-G.